Okay, everyone, I have a really big announcement, an exciting bit of news, and a date for your diary. Wednesday, the 8th of November, is the chance for you to come to a live, high-performance recording in London with the England Lionesses manager, Serena Wiegmann. This is the first and will be the only opportunity to sit and hear a live conversation with Serena about her new book, What It Takes, my playbook on life and leadership. So if you want to relive the Euros triumph, if you want to find out how she transformed English football in the women's game, if you want to get the inside track on what happened in the recent World Cup and the World Cup final, then you need to be with us on the 8th of November at Westminster Chapel in London. And if you get a ticket, the ticket will also come with a copy of Serena's new book. For more information and to bag your place, go to thehighperformancepodcast.com. That's thehighperformancepodcast.com and come and join us in London, live with the England Lionesses manager, Serena Wiegmann. Hi there. You're listening to High Performance, the award-winning podcast that unlocks the minds of some of the most fascinating people on the planet. I'm Jake Humphrey, and alongside Professor Damien Hughes, we learn from the stories, successes, and struggles of our guests, allowing us all to explore, be challenged, and to grow. Here's what's coming up today. I feel that if something's wrong, I want to do my bit to put it right. And I don't think that's unique to me. I think everybody has that sort of capacity in them, but it just needs to be brought out. I really don't believe this wonderful, beautiful thing called human existence is just going to come to an end with climate change, and it is going to come to an end. If we don't do something about it, that's it. It's extinction. Or as one writer put it, unite or perish. One vote every five years is not living in a democracy. Not in any way, shape or form. That's all we're given. We have to find a way to let the people in community be the politics. Don't be fooled by this charming, lovely person underneath their steel. So today we welcome the owner of Norwich City Football Club, TV chef and author Delia Smith to the High Performance Podcast. So Delia is now in her 80s. She's been a chef for over 60 years. Her TV career started, would you believe, over 50 years ago. Her books have sold millions. But what we were really interested in is a recent book she's written that I reckon you don't have on your bookshelf. You probably do have Delia Smith's Complete Cookery Course or one of the other cookbooks that she's written. But she also released a book recently called You Matter, The Human Solution. And the truth is that she believes that humans are the solution. She is optimistic about our future. She's incredibly interested in our future. She talks on this podcast about spirituality, the power of the human race, the power that you have to make this a world that you want it to be. And I think the fact that Delia has been on the earth for over eight decades puts her in a place where she has real freedom to talk about these kinds of things. You will know plenty about someone as famous as Delia Smith, but I would wager that you're going to hear Delia speak in a way that you won't expect and have never heard before, as we welcome Delia Smith to the High Performance Podcast. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Delia, lovely to see you. Nice to see you guys. Welcome to the show. What is high performance to you? Well, it, it's something that um, I wouldn't pertain to, really. It sounds a bit above <laughs> what I do. But I think it's doing the best you can do and really not leaving any stones unturned, going the extra mile and working really hard. That's it for me. I love the idea of growth and change. And many people look at Delia Smith and think Delia Smith, chef, cookery writer, football club owner. You released a book not long ago that was very different to the Delia Smith that we all know. What made you want to do that? I, I just think um, it's been a journey that started when I was a child, really. I felt there's something wrong in life um, that might be able to be put right. And I think what we've neglected is our our sort of deeper selves, our spiritual life. And I think it's got bound up with religion that. So it's sort of put on the side as being religious or about religion. So I desperately wanted to do um, something about the spiritual side of life, spirituality, that didn't include religion. It wasn't about religion. It's about humans and what humans are made of. I'm interested in that comment that you said that you'd almost recognise that something wasn't right from, yes. from a young age. Would you tell us more about that? Well, not so much from, from when I was young, but now, which compelled me to write it. But I just felt um, because uh, when I was a child, my mother put me to bed too early. And I knew it was too early because all the kids were outside playing and there I was, no chance of going to sleep. But I just had this space, this time in my life, which was very productive. I can't explain it any more than that. All children have their sort of space moments. And I just felt that was an important part of life that I've always wanted to always go back to. So that's what brought it on, if you like. So it was almost like constructive daydreaming. Yeah, anything. I don't like the word meditation because I think it implies something you've got to achieve, something you've got to do. But I think stillness and silence achieves so much in a person. And I just wanted to try and convince people that it's very therapeutic, you know, that you come out of the, the busyness and the fast lane and you just have that time in yourself to, yes, daydream or whatever comes along. Sometimes it's going to be something really deep. 
Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes the shopping list at Sainsbury's <laughs> comes into the mind or what I'm going to have for breakfast or whatever. But it's something really ordinary, but something really dynamic at the same time. Can we talk about spirituality? What does it represent to you when we say spirituality? Well, it means that there is... Um, the essence of a person, the deeper side of a person that can get lost in the noise and the activity. There's one great philosopher, French philosopher, whose name I can never remember, and, but he said, all the troubles in the world, not some, all the troubles in the world come upon us because we refuse to sit still in our rooms for half an hour each day. Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal. Yeah. And do you do that? Yes. <laughs> and what does it do for you? I can't say what it does, but it's something I can't do without. You know, I need to have that space. I need to have that time. So for people that don't do this, how should they begin? Is it as simple as just sitting still for half an hour or are there specific things that work for you that people can maybe adopt? Well, I've always said the harder it is, the more you need it. So I had a book that, I, that helped me, written by an Indian Sufi, who said, um, it is going to be hard, but if you do 10 minutes and then increase it later to 20 minutes and then increase it to, he said, the optimum is an hour a day. But um, I think that is a good way. And I think, you know, being a practical person, I think it's quite good if you have a timer so you know when the 10 minutes is up. Because if you're not used to it, you sit there and you go, keep looking at your watch. It's, oh, is that all? Mm. <laughs> People are not used to sitting still and silent. So it's quite difficult. But as somebody that has a packed agenda and has had a packed agenda for a long time, whether it's with the football or yeah. the other commitments and, and initiatives that you're involved in, Delia. What does this half an hour reflection give you in those other worlds? This just opened me up to a more intense kind of view of things, um, of people. It's only in the last 23 years that I've made the commitment to do an hour a day. Before that, it was just dribs and drabs. And, okay. But that was reading the book. You know, this guy was very emphatic. I think it's changed me completely, and it's made me more aware. It's nothing airy-fairy or right up there. It's something really simple, like noticing people, listening to people, appreciating life, appreciating other human beings, I think probably what's blown me away is what human life is. I can't actually still quite believe it, you know? Go on, say more about that. Well, we don't choose it, do we? We're just there. But there's some sort of, I don't know, cosmic process that's going on in this vast universe where it takes millions of years for light to reach the earth and that's how big it is and there's this tiny little planet which is like a little dot you know tiny little fragment in within all that and up pops life i mean come on what's that life happens and it's all life and then it's human life so it's life everywhere you know little 
blade of grass coming up, that's life. And then it's human life and oh, this culture and this sport and this all these wonderful things. And I know it's difficult. I know it's hard, but it's still awesome. And what does that mindset do for you when things aren't great or you're faced with challenge or you find life difficult, as a lot of people do? Um, it is going to always be difficult. So I like old-fashioned colloquialisms. So there's no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> and everything is going to cost. Everything is going to be hard sometimes. Everything is going to be disappointing. And I would say, with both of you, to both of you, how wonderful football is. Because a little child of five sitting on the terraces in tears and the whistle's just gone and they've lost, knows what life is about. There are going to be those, you know, you lose the match and it's the end of the world. And is that maybe why football actually is so important to you? Because it's about human beings. It's about yeah. human connection. It's about community. It's about yeah. coming together and connecting. Especially the connection and the community, because there aren't many areas of life now where there's still proper community. And community is where people become themselves. People become their best when they're in community. When they're with other people, that's when they rise up and become truly themselves. I've learned a lot from you, Damien. Oh, well, thanks, Damien. <laughs> Damien talks about social glue. Mm. Explain uh, your thoughts on that. Social glue. There is this kind of invisible connection that we all have that we can ignore. We don't realise it's there. But when you get, you know, people together and when they become team you know that is quite that is it isn't it it's finding as you said that social glue so where have you seen it applied most powerfully then wherever there is strong community i mean i had somebody write to me the other day and ask me to to say a few words and she was in norfolk helping poor families you know to cope and she said, it's amazing how when you give people, you give them freedom, when they come together and you give them freedom, up come the ideas, up comes the sort of, you know, imagination and the, it's all there. But I think it needs other people to bring it out. I mean, if everybody in the world today got the social glue, got together and said, we're having no more authoritarianism, we wouldn't have any. And how does this link back to where we started this conversation about, as Damien mentioned, reflective daydreaming, that hour a day that you take yes, just to be with yourself? How do we link that to people being together? Because that, that feels like a very individual thing to be doing. Yes. Well, I think that's an important part of it because I think what that does is it somehow brings that into you it, it sort of community people become more important to you because you're spending that time truth is coming to you <laughs> and truth is that I can be a better person if I'm with other people so if I said to you what's your purpose how would you answer that question my purpose no one's ever asked me that I don't know what my purpose is but I know how I feel. I feel that if something's wrong, I want to do my bit to put it right. And I don't think that's unique to me. 
I think everybody has that sort of capacity in them, but it just needs to be brought out. And there may well be people listening to this thinking, we've never lived in a time of more fractious things going on. We've never lived in a time where people are more separate from each other, despite the fact that it's claimed that technology brings us closer together. Yeah. That's the challenge that people might think, well, this problem is too great for me to solve or for us to solve or for, you know, quiet reflection. The world isn't rainbows, kittens and candy floss, is it? That, you know, that there's some, we need some realism here. And I think some people might doubt that this can, that this can offer that. I think uh, the political systems are broken and I think people are sort of the most dangerous thing of all is that the state we're in at the moment becomes normalised. We look on the television and we see the terrible, terrible things going on mm. and the, the killing and the hardship and all of that and we think we can't do anything about it. We feel helpless and we can't do anything about it. So I think we've got to find answers, but I can't find answers. But I think together we can find answers. So if I was to go out now and say I was to invite both of you and I was to invite the man who wrote that book and the man who wrote that book and da-da-da-da-da and get them all around the table, right, how are we going to fix it? We would. See, I think what, like, what you often hear is really compelling, Delia, and I'm interested in... For anyone listening to this, say that whether it's a school community or whether it's just a, a wider community in their local area or whether it's even a business, I get the reflective daydreaming starts to open you up to the truth. What would you say is almost like the next steps of how we can start to create these powerful communities where, where we start to right the wrongs and make a difference? Well, am I allowed to dream now? Yeah, please. Okay, go on. I'll dream by by doing it, by making communities. So by, what's step one of that? There is something now, I don't know whether you've heard about it, but there's something now called citizens' assemblies. You haven't heard about You see, that's the problem. You know, we've got the media telling us all the time how terrible everything is. Nobody's heard of citizens' assemblies. So what citizens' assemblies are is gathering people together from a community and sitting down and thrashing out what the world's problems are and trying to find the answers. So um, it's now happening all over the world in all different countries. Okay. Um, and um, there is a, two big societies in America. But the leading light on this is the Republic of Ireland. And they started having citizens' assemblies. And when they got to this uh, dreaded thing called abortion, which had taken 25 years, the government couldn't sort it. The government could not sort it. So the government allowed, they got a citizens' assembly of 100 people. And what happens is they're all randomly chosen. So they're randomly chosen uh, from you know, electoral roles, whatever, you know, different ages, yeah. different backgrounds. And these hundred people meet together, sometimes over a weekend, sometimes one day of a weekend, you know, a Saturday or a... And they deliberate together. Now, what they're given is it's totally random. You can't take a friend or anything. You just go along. And what they're given then is information about the subject to read they have speakers that come in, 
They have people who have been affected by the law. They come in and talk. So they're informed. They're not deliberating just out of like bump, but they're informed. And so they take that information, they get together and they deliberate, they discuss it. And then at the end, they go out to the country. They find what they think. They go out to the country. Everybody has a vote. And they change the constitution. Wow. Now that's a big one, isn't it? That one. Yeah. That is what I'm saying. Now put that around the world everywhere. Split us all up into areas where we can have citizens' assemblies. One of the uh, great writers on this was an American writer called Hannah Arendt. And she's written a lot about this kind of thing. I think that's the answer. So I'm allowed to dream on this podcast. What I love on that is that like, if we sort of break it down into transferable bits, that there's something around, first of all, coming up with a solution rather than just identifying the problem. There's something around the diversity of members. Yeah. There's something about listening rather than just having an opinion. Yes. There's lots of yeah. easy skills that anyone listening to this could adopt. Yeah. So if you went onto YouTube <laughs> yeah. and you had a look at the Irish Citizens Assemblies, what you would see is what I've tried to write about in my book, which is probably not happening, is happening to people. They are coming alive. There's witnesses that stand up, like a young girl stands up and says, I just had no idea that I could contribute to something like this. Wow. And that's the power of community, of human beings, social glue. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I love most about you, and there are many of them, is your optimism. <laughs> but we're also faced with the media, right? Yeah. who are deciding that we should be told about all the really awful things in the world. Yeah. And you can watch the news every single night and you can see all the horrendous things and none of us have ever heard about the example you've just spoken about, right? So are you optimistic about the future or are you pessimistic about the future because of the way that society is is informed? Well, I have to be I have to be optimistic about it because um I really do believe it and I really don't believe this wonderful beautiful thing called human existence is just going to come to an end with climate change and it is going to come to an end. If we don't do something about it, that's it. It's extinction. Or as one writer put it, unite mm. or perish. So how have we lost <laughs> You like that? I love that a lot. Unite <laughs> or perish. Yeah. Have we lost sight then of how awesome we actually are? I know that we have. You know, in your book, you people talk about self-actualization, realizing the potential that we have yeah. as human beings. Yeah, but we're being brainwashed all the time not to think that. Why? Uh, uh, because I think um, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to get political. Is Please that all do. right? Yeah. Is it allowed? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Everything is allowed here. I think that um, what what happened in the Second World War. What happened with Nazism and fascism? Didn't We defeated the Nazis, but Nazism didn't go. And now it's moved into another phase called populism. And that populism um, is a lie because the word populism implies people. <laughs> and... Uh, they're not about people at all. 
So all over the world, you've got these oligarchs and whatever you call them, you know, authoritarian leaders manipulating. They're getting into the political systems of everywhere. So everywhere they're into the political systems and you find evidence of it. So really, I think the only fight back is people. Somebody else said, but I don't know who said this, which is lovely. The only way to fight populism is the population. <laughs> Do you mind if we touch on that just for a moment? Yes. What's broken and what should the answer be? I think um, what's wrong in the world at the moment is the people the population, the citizens of the universe do not have a say in anything, nothing. We're just told, you know, okay, we're going to send the refugees off to Rwanda. We have no say in that. Mm. And I want us to learn about people power and what that would mean. And okay, it is utopian. You know, people will scoff, you know, the cynicism everywhere. It is utopian. Well, let's have a bit of utopia. But someone would counter, well, we live in a democracy, we vote for the government based on their manifesto, therefore we mm. do have a say. What would your answer to that be? One vote every five years is not living in a democracy. Not in any way, shape or form. That's all we're given. We have no say in anything else. And what does that vote give us? One set for another set of inadequates. What would you like the answer to be? We have to find a way to let the people in community be the politics. How do we do that? By people coming together. You know, one writer, the one I talked about in America, said there should be big spaces everywhere. You know, you should build big spaces where people can come together and deliberate, just like the original. The original, where the word democracy came from, was from the Greek polis. But we have big spaces where people come together and when they come together, they get dispersed by the police and they pass new bills making it illegal to get together yeah. and share your opinion. Or they walk down the street telling people not to be using their cars and the media vilify those people. So it then suddenly seems okay for the general public to attack them for doing that or to boo them for caring about the environment. Because the people don't have any power. But if you... If you begin to transfer the power to the people, like in the Republic of Ireland, they've now had um, a citizens' assembly on drug abuse, a citizens' assembly on the problem of the ageing population. You know, it's the em embryo is there, and I would like to see that developed, but it needs really clever people. I mean, we are really clever. The human race... You know, it's walking on the moon, we're now going to go to Mars. And then here we are, you know, on our little planet, ruining it mm. and making it, wiping it out. And it feels like the wrong people are leading the world as well. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. We're promoting the wrong yeah. type of people, yeah. Yeah. perhaps. Do you think that? It's absolutely that. Absolutely that. You know, it's all top down, isn't it? It's all top down leadership. And then we've got the extreme people everywhere dotted about. And um, I, I just feel we are capable of doing anything. Why are we not capable of making our world a place of peace and harmony? 
And is the biggest challenge here that this is about control? The people who are already in control would never relinquish control to allow the people to take control. Well, the other way around, if if the people begin to, I would say, you know, if that thing ha- if that thing grows, then sooner or later, you know, it's the people themselves who are decide making the decisions. And I can be blown away by cynics, but we need clever people. I'm not clever enough to work out how that would happen. But all I know now is like, I mean, in America, the founding fathers of America, that was their original vision, was that everybody would be involved. And they were all involved in the revolution. But then the founding fathers at the end of it, all the people went away and now we're in charge. And then it gets handed on, handed on. And so it's everywhere. It's a few people in charge of a lot of people. And when you put it that way, it doesn't seem right. It isn't. It isn't. But it needs clever people who are very clever at writing about what's wrong to say, come on, let's put it right. But we can, we can do it. We are humanity. Look what we've achieved. There is no reason why we can't do it. Obviously, when you talk in this way, yeah. there will be some people that decide to be critical. You know, people, people expect Delia to be a, yeah. a certain type of person. Would you explain to our audience how you how you deal with criticism? Well, all my life, you know, I've had quite a lot of criticism, so I've had quite a lot of practice <laughs> <laughs> because um, I used to be slammed for being boring and not being a sort of ambitious chef doing, making everybody gasp when they ate something, you know, I was just doing the Yorkshire puddings. And, the, and so I got a lot of criticism for that. I still get a lot of criticism I think now I'm sure of my ground. I am 82 after all. I've had a a long, long time to get to this stage, but I'm quite sure of my ground. And I understand that people won't agree with me. I mean, you know, if I just stood up now and said, look, you've got to close the House of Commons, it's not working. (laughs) I would get quite a bit of criticism. Yeah, and for those who still struggle with with criticism what advice would you give to them to be self-actualized to accept yourself if you can get rid of your ego (laughs) i think ego is something that we have to grapple with and if we can get rid of that um and learn how to be humble then you can cope with it i think better tell us more about that why is the ego so dangerous because I've just watched it over my career happen to people. You know, they they go up in the world and then they suddenly become, you know, um, it's I, me and myself, isn't it? And it's, um, I think, a person who, who, who can't say, who can't ever say they're wrong. So if you're struggling with um, criticism, people criticizing you, go with it. <laughs> go with the flow okay right i've got that wrong you know what if there's a sense of injustice though i mean i'll give you a a real world example it's pained me many occasions when i've gone to norwich knowing the love you have for that club the love you have for the fans (laughs) how perilous the future of norwich was when you bought it (laughs) the sacrifices you've made financially and personally to hold the football club 
in the right way. The fact you don't call yourself an owner, you call yourself a, you know, the current custodian of Norwich. The fact you're a fan before you're a majority shareholder. Yeah, I've heard tens of thousands of people chanting dealer out in the stadium. Yeah. So how do you deal with it? Like a real truth about actually how that feels when it when it feels so unjust. I think I think in the beginning, in the very beginning, um, it did hurt. Hmm. Um, but I think the way to deal with it is to just accept it. I mean, um, I know when I close my eyes at night and go to bed, I've done everything I could ever possibly do for Norwich City Football Club. There isn't anything more I could do. And therefore, I know that. I know yeah. that's what I do. And I have supporters coming up to me all the time saying, don't take any notice, Delia. Don't take any notice. You know, I'll tell you how I dealt with one. Mm. And it's such a wonderful thing. I can't tell you how wonderful I felt. I was walking down Carroll Road and we just lost. And it was years ago. I had to go early because I was doing a television program the next day. I had to leave early. We were losing badly. So Carroll Road was empty and there's this supporter coming up. And he came up to me right up close. And he said, you have brought our football club into the gutter. And all I can say to you is, will you please go? Wow. Answer? Well, I still love you. <laughs> and what was the reaction? And the stewards were all rushing, saying, Are you all right, Delia? Do you need any help? You know. And did you it's mean so that? Wonderful. Did you mean that? Yeah. I did mean it. It's so wonderful to be able to deal with it in a humble way because it disarms people. It so disarms them. Killing the kindness. But when I do get upset, very upset, if I hear people slagging off somebody else that I love, mm. then I get really upset. That hurts me. Like who? Recently, the supporters were doing a bit of a chant that I didn't like. And it wasn't about me. Right. About someone else on the board or... Why does that hurt you so much more? Because I know, I know the work that goes into a football club, how hard it is and daily toil and the work that goes into it. I love the supporters and I think that 90% of them understand it. I'm sure, but there's these 10% of whingers. So they're all, in a, they're all in a space now. They're 10% of whingers, okay. They just whinge on. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
I'm, I'm really intrigued to sort of explore the topic of humility with you. Yes. Because I've never met anyone that's, that has had their first name coined as a, in the Oxford English Dictionary or no. anyone that sold hundreds of millions of books like you have. So I've been lucky. I've, I'm... But that's the humility lucky. that we're talking about. When we start before we record, he said, I don't know what I've got to offer here. That's that humility that's integral to you. Yes. But I'm interested in how do you maintain that? Because you said you've identified people who as their star has risen, they've almost lost that humility and it's cost them. But this is something that's innate and natural to you. And I'm interested in where it comes from and how you maintain it. Um. I, I don't know really. I mean, I think, I don't think anyone achieves anything without a lot of other people. So I think my parents brought me up. They were always quite critical. Right. And um, my mother, who, who only died about two years ago, was always really critical. So I had this sort of, you know, there was no chance, really. <laughs> in what context would she be critical? Oh, in every in every single way. Um, there would be this, you know, this criticism. And then I met my agent, who has been my agent for 50 years, and she was really good, you know, keeping my feet on the ground. People would be coming in with offers, and she'd say, you don't need that. You don't need to do that, you okay. know. I think she was a huge help to me. My husband's been a huge help to me. Melanie sitting outside has been a great help to me and other people. Nobody does anything, achieves anything without a lot of other people being involved. But again, that humility can sometimes be rare to recognise it. People love the idea of the self-made narrative of I pulled myself up by bootstraps and that sort of story is common in our culture and yet you're willingly acknowledging the community and the people around you. Yes. And I'm interested if you'll tell us about how you've maintained that community and that culture to allow you to stay grounded. I don't know. I think I think if you really are humble, there's always going to be a bit of ego there. It's never going to go complete. It's going to be lurking around. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but I, I don't know. I just have to say how lucky I am. I'm really lucky. You know, I'm lucky that I had Debbie, my agent. I don't she really did help me a lot. How did you meet? Because, again, that's like your parents yeah. you're blessed with, but yeah. you've chosen Debbie. You know, I went to see her. So I go and see this literary agent, you know, and I'm working in a restaurant um, saying, you know, I'd like to write a cookery book on 18th century English cooking. You know, it's the same thing. And she said, oh, right. And she believed, she believed in me. She just believed in me. And she went to her boss because she was working in an agency. He said, oh, don't touch cookery writers. You know, you'll never get, you'll never earn any money out of a cookery writer. Don't worry about that. And so she, we never got a book published, but she just rang up a magazine one day that was looking for a cookery writer and said, can I send someone? And she sent me and I got the job. So that's how it happened. So what did she see in you? Have you ever asked her, like, why did she believe in something? Like you say, and I want to write a book on 18th century cookery. I've heard her say one thing about me. One thing she said, don't be fooled by this charming, lovely, uh, then young person underneath their steel, she'd say. That's fascinating. <laughs> I'd like to touch on that. Okay. Because we can talk about the 
how humble you are. We can talk about your humility, but you also are the majority shareholder of a football club and decisions need to be made, right? Mm -hmm. So how would you say you've created or built the culture at, at Norwich City, for example? It's a community thing. I think it was a great football club before I went, when we were just sitting in our season ticket seats. It was a great football club, you know. It, there was something very special about it. But I think we have... Michael and I, and he's, you know, 50% of this, we have tried to create an ethos that is a family club, that is in the community. But then there's been a lot of other people as well who've, yeah. who've helped us along the way. But you can't do this without at times taking risk. I'd love to find out your relationship with risk. For those that don't know, would you just explain actually how perilous Norwich City's life was when you became the majority shareholders or when you invested yes. for the very first time? Yes, I can. Um, we were asked to be board directors because it was on the brink of uh, bankruptcy. Right. But how close? Like There were people sharing jobs. You know, they had two people for one job that shared it and they were about to t take off the electricity and the... And there was a chairman, bless him, who just marched around the city trying to get some money. And then in desperation, he came to us and he said, you know, to me, because then I was selling cookery books, he said, um, if, if you would be able to put a million pounds in, um, then you could have a seat on the board. Not that I knew what a board was, but... Um, I immediately said, Michael was the football expert, not me. I was the Johnny-come-lately who went with Michael, you right. know. So I said, well, if we gave you two million, could we have two seats on the board? And they said, yes. And that's how it happened. And so we spent the first few years sitting around a board table discussing how to service debt. It was that bad? how to service debt, how to service debt. And we didn't come out of debt until about completely out of debt. I'm saying when we were completely out of debt, i.e. Michael and I got some of our loans back five years ago. That was the first time. So how long was that? 20 years. Wow. So what is your relationship like with risk then? Because that is a big risk. Two million pounds of your money effectively into a business that was struggling. Well, it wasn't because Michael and I, um, we went down the garden one day, sat on a seat at the end of the garden and said, well, what do we want to do with this money? What do we want to do with it? We don't want anything. There's nothing we want. So we lived in a lovely little house, cottage. We didn't need anything. But what we did want was our football club to succeed. That's what we really wanted. So why? That wasn't a risk. You want your football club to to, to succeed and now here we are a few decades later i think i'm right in saying no club has been promoted and relegated from the premier league more times than norwich city so it's certainly been a roller coaster ride right plenty of highs and plenty of lows yes and there is now american investment on the horizon yes. i think i'm right in saying no that's yesterday confirmed yeah, yeah. so is that an equal shareholding now with... yes yes so how does that sit with you um well it started with one of our board directors, Michael Fulger, wanting to sell his shares. And so um, 
we went out and found a broker to see who would want be interested in investing in a football club. And they found four different Americans. And we looked at them. We decided on one. He came over. And he bought Michael Fulger's shares, but also put some money in to the club as well. And we had an agreement that um, he, he put a time limit. He said, well, in seven years' time, you sem- sell me the club or you pay me the money back. Um, and that seemed like a good deal. So that was him sort of coming, you know. And then, unfortunately... COVID happened after COVID, we got into debt again. Yeah. I mean, if, <laughs> not quite back to square one, but pretty hard, you know. So, um, in order to try and help the debt, we released some of our shares. So he's now got 40%, and we've got 40%. So, in that initial meeting, Delia, how, how much of it was about the finances and the way you structured? that seven-year agreement and how much of it was about the values that you'd obviously bought into? Well, Mark Antanasio has a baseball club called the um, Milwaukee Brewers and it's more or less the same story as Norwich. You know, he took it over when it was and then he brought it up and now they're right at the top. Um, We did a lot of homework. We did a lot of due diligence They're very much community people. They believe in community. It seems like a good match. It really, really does. But I can tell you now, if it isn't, we're not going to give up our 40 40 million share, whatever it is we've got. Yeah. And being vulnerable for a moment, is there any fear or a sense of sadness that you're no longer the the majority shareholder? You know, Norwich has been a North Star for you for so long. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. But it doesn't matter because we're only there for the good of the football club. And we feel very strongly that we've got to give it up now because of our age. We have to. There's no way we're going to be still. So therefore, our passion now is to get the right people. And so far, it looks good. (laughs) I'm so pleased. And as a Norwich City fan, I hope it's the right decision. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) I can't say I'm going to miss going to boring board meetings (laughs) (laughs) when that ends. Before we move to our quickfire questions, and this relates to your freedom and the book that you recently released, which is incredible. We'd recommend it to anyone you matter. Um, What's the one thing you would love people to do after listening to this conversation? I'm going to use a Damien phrase here. Look at the bigger picture. Look at the bigger picture. The world isn't right. And look at yourself and find out what you can do to help make the world a better place. And that involves other people. But everybody, there isn't anyone born who doesn't have a role, who can't add something. And if their brain automatically says to them, hey, you're just an individual in the vastness of this planet, Mm -hmm. you can't have an impact. What would you say to them? Go somewhere where you can have an impact. Join football. Join somewhere where you're going to be with other people because other people, you can spend all day on your own dreaming. You know, that's not going to help you. 
But if you could be relate to other people and understand that they're all struggling the same way you're struggling and make a difference and um, let's not put up with what we're putting up with. We're putting up with things and we shouldn't be. Delia, time for the quick fire questions. I know you listen to the podcast, so you've heard a few of these over the years. What are the three non-negotiable behaviours that you and ideally the people around you as well should really buy into? Truth. Definitely that's the key to everything. Mm. Um, respect for other people, um, behaviour towards other people and humility. We've covered some of this in terms of your greatest weakness, but also your biggest strength. Risk. I think, you know, the spur of the moment, okay, the brain's not engaged, but the heart is, you know, bump, do it. <laughs> That's the biggest strength. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I don't know. I think so. <laughs> I think other is. people might be able to tell you more. Talking of other people, what is the thing that you feel people get wrong or misunderstand most about you? I don't know. I think I might come across sometimes as being a bit of a goody, you know, and I'm not. <laughs> Ask my husband. <laughs> what advice would you give to a teenage dealer just starting out? Only one thing, and I've thought about this a lot and I've said it when I'm with young people, don't be afraid to fail. If you're not afraid to fail, you can do anything. Anything. If you're not afraid to fail, live with failure. It's not always going to work. You're not always going to be right. Can you give us an example of your biggest failure and what you learned from it? Not getting in the premiership for five years. <laughs> and why was that a failure? <laughs> because um, Michael and I, our ambition was to be able to somehow or other do it without the money. You know, we're self-funding. Everybody's got lashings of money everywhere. And if we could actually achieve that, that's what my dearest wish of achievement would be. Um, and my other achievement would be to, would want to do is change politics. Delia, I've loved this conversation. I've absolutely loved it. Um, the final question <laughs> is your last message really to the, to the people that have sat and listened to this. What would you love to leave ringing in their ears about living their own high performance life? Learn to love yourself and then you'll love everyone. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, thanks, David. Did you enjoy it? I did. I did. And I couldn't go on about it, but I, I learned so much from your book. Oh, well, thank you. That's really lovely. But... Ditto the bigger picture and the behaviour. I mean, that is an amazing book. Oh, well, thank you. That's really kind. But your book is as well. Like, <laughs> I mean, I thought it was so beautifully written and this is a great manifestation of it. Oh, thank you. Well, you had a big influence on me. I did nice. say so. I said he should no, be no, the no. Minister of Education. <laughs> well, that, so that I, children could learn from day one. The big takeaway for me in this conversation is, is empowering people. Like, I do feel that people are told all the time that they have no power, and you believe the total mm -hmm. opposite of that. And I think that that is, if you don't believe in humanity, what, what do you believe in? Yeah. We're all, people arrive on the earth and want to live a good life, do good things, create good stuff, leave good memories. Something gets in the way. Yeah. It's awesome, isn't it? It is really, really awesome. Um, but how to 
I don't know how to um I think it's just you know it's just like my age now but Debbie said to me my agent said to me when I was 70 okay you can say what you like now because all my <laughs> all my career like don't say that don't say that you know she taught me very early on don't criticize you know just if somebody has a go at you don't try and answer back you know I've had a lot of people helping me um and I I can remember one day um I wanted to say something about Mrs. Thatcher. She said, no, 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 no. <laughs> she said, one thing you can learn from her is she never answered. She never answered any criticism. Right. So she taught me that. Damien. Jake. Look, if this podcast exists to do anything, it's to challenge people's thinking and it's to allow them to see a side of someone that they just wouldn't normally see. And I I think that that conversation with Delia Smith has done both. Definitely, yeah. I think challenge convention, make you think, go back and reappraise what you once believed to be true. And I think some people might have come into this wanting to hear the wisdom of a multi-million selling chef. Some people might have come into here the custodian of a football club. But I think what we've been lucky enough to hear is somebody at 83 years of age condensing all that wisdom and telling us how to apply it to our own lives and you might agree you might not but the fact that you're stopping and listening is the value of this i think also we can say like is that a high performance conversation and now it's not a high performance conversation in the typical um what time do you get out of bed how relentless are you what's your mindset how do you build a culture how do you hire and fire people all of those conversations we've had many times over the years but actually almost to pause and have a conversation about the almost infinite power of a human being, whether we underestimate now the power that we have, um, what our future could look like if we took control of it, the incredible optimism that Delia Smith has, the fact that she believes and sees the good in everybody. Like, it's very easy to argue that that is high performance. Us, you know, that self-actualization, becoming the very best versions of ourselves, isn't that high performance? Well, that's what Abraham Maslow, the uh, the psychologist that coined that term self-actualization would tell us is is the panacea. That's what we're all aiming for, that once we've covered our needs of shelter and food and belonging, then that idea of just being the person we were meant to be is a textbook definition of high performance. And I think it's really refreshing to hear Delia come and remind us of that wisdom and challenge us to mm. seek answers ourselves. And I know that deep down, the book You Matter, which is a, a lifetime of learnings and lessons put into a book, right? She would have loved that to have sold millions of copies just like our cookbooks, right? But actually, many, many people have released books about how to make a great lasagna and, you know, the best way to do a Sunday roast or some incredible Yorkshire puddings, right? No one else has written what she's written with the mindset that she has and the set of beliefs that she has. And I think that that book will go on to be more impactful, possibly than anything else she's ever done. And it might take a long time, but it will get there because it puts people, it puts people at the centre of the universe. Yeah, and I was lucky enough when Delia was in the process of writing the book to meet with her and to chat about some of the ideas that she was doing and just her innate curiosity, her willingness to go and explore lines of thought and to go and research topics that she was intrigued by is 
all contained there in that book. And I'd, I'd advocate that anybody that's interested in the conversation we've had, go and pick up a copy of You Matter and go and explore those uh, trains of thought that Delia puts down on the page. I love the way she thinks. And I also love the fact that she sat down before the interview, before we started recording and said, I've listened to many of these episodes and I don't believe I can offer you any value. And here we are an hour or so later and the value is hopefully there for all to see. So, you know what? If you've listened to this, reach out to Delia and let her know how valuable you found that conversation. I know I will be. So thanks, Damo. Thanks, mate. Loved it. Well, as always, I'd love to know what you made of that conversation. Don't forget, you can also join the millions who watch our content on YouTube. You can subscribe right there and you can see the conversations as well as listen to them. And I think sometimes it just gives you a little bit more of an insight into the emotion in the room when we cover all of these deep topics that we love to talk about. You can also download the High Performance app, see all the conversations there and also get daily boosts, which will take you closer to your own version of High Performance. Just go to the App Store and use your unique code HPAPP. Look, thank you so much for continuing to share these conversations. That is the way that this podcast channel can grow and we can reach even more people. So do continue to spread the learnings from these conversations wherever you are in the world. Chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. And remember, high performance looks different to everyone. So chase your own version. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.